Well, good morning. We haven't met if it's been a while. I'm Pastor Jason, and I pastor our Riverside campus. This they're uh, outside of Dayton. I usually preach here a couple times a year, and one of the times that I usually preach here is right around uh, New Year's Day. It's either the 30th or the 31st or the 1st or the 2nd. So I'm usually here at that time around New Year's Day, and, and usually when I'm here uh, around New Year's Day, uh, I talk about the resolution. Uh, the promises that we make at the beginning of every year to, to give something up or, or just take something on. We talk about what we're going to stop. That seems to be where New Year's takes us, and I usually preach on that. So just think of today as a continuation of the sermon series that we began nine months ago. Just, just, just fall right back in line, if you would. Just go back to, to January, if you would, and just think about whatever it was we talked about in January. And we're going to talk about things that we should stop doing. So this is just a very long sermon series, nine months in the making. Okay? So we're going to talk, talk about things that we should stop doing. And one of the things I really want to talk about, and this may not apply to all of us, certainly as we, we talk this morning, some of the things I say are going to apply to some of us. Uh, one of the things that we need to stop doing right now, today, commit to stop doing it today, is stop trying to please people. Stop trying to please people. Whatever it is you're doing in hopes of pleasing someone, how you dress, how you speak, how you act, what you buy, what you wear, what you own, Whatever it is you're doing in, in an effort to please people, whatever you're putting on Facebook in an effort to please people, stop doing it. You exist to please an audience of one. That is your purpose. You exist to live a life pleasing to God. That is it. Ephesians 2.10 tells us, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works. You are his handiwork. You are his masterpiece. You are his craftsmanship. You are hand-selected, hand-picked, hand-made by the creator of the entire universe. He thinks you're a masterpiece. Stop trying to please anyone else. Please the one who created you, the one who knows you, the one who sculpts you, the one who molds you. You are his masterpiece. Live a life that pleases him. If you are living a life to please man, it will be impossible to please God. If you are living a life seeking praise from other people, it will be impossible to please God. Okay. If you are leading a life that pleases God, it will not matter if you please man. Right? If I want to repeat that. If you are leading a life that pleases God, and if you're leading a life to please God, it will not matter if you please man. You will have pleased the only person that matters, your father, your creator the one who calls you a masterpiece. And when you think about all the efforts that we go to to please other people and all the things that we do to please other people, none of those people are ever going to look at you and say you're an absolute masterpiece. But God does. 
God says you're an absolute masterpiece with your cracks, with your dents, with your flaws, all of which he wants to work on, by the way. We're going to talk about that too. But he looks at you and he sees you as a masterpiece. Now take that a step further. Have you ever, you ever created anything? You ever taken an art class at all? You ever built something? You ever made something? And it was special to you, right? The world would look at it and say it's junk, right? Like you say, oh, you made that? Kind of like when your kids bring home artwork and you're like, oh, that's nice. That's really great. And they put it on the fridge. And it's not that good, right? But it's special to them. And you have to act like it's special, right? And you stick it on the fridge and you can't wait to take it down because you're embarrassed by it. Okay, so... <laughs> But your kid sees that and thinks that's a Monet. Your child who spent time and effort and put themselves into that piece of artwork, they think it's marvelous, right? They think it's an absolute masterpiece because a part of them went into it. And that is how God views us because a part of him goes into us. He looks at us even though we're messy and we're sloppy, and we're flawed. And he says, you're an absolute masterpiece. The masterpiece is not based on the value that the world puts on it. It's based on the value the creator puts on it. So stop trying to please everyone. Live a life that pleases God. Second thing, stop living in the past. Just stop it. I see friends posting things on, on Facebook of uh, the glory days of, of high school. And I, I just, guys, it's 25 years ago. <laughs> I, just, I, I just want to reach out to him and say it was 25 years ago, right? Nobody cares that we were the last team from Xenia to beat Wayne. Nobody cares about that tidbit of information, right? It's in the past. There's nothing for you there. If God liked something that much that's in your past, it would be with you right here and right now. It would still be a part of your life. There's nothing in the past for you. Stop looking back. Stop clinging to it. Use the, the example you find in, in, in Genesis 19. And it's talking about Sodom and Gomorrah. And there's, there's wickedness there. There's evil there. There's sinfulness there. There's ugliness there. There's nastiness there. The place is so bad that the only answer to deal with it is to destroy it. That's how bad that place is, right? It's so bad, the only way to deal with it is to destroy it, is to absolutely demolish it, to absolutely turn it to ashes, tear it down. That's how bad the place is. And they're given a warning. Do not look back. God has spoken. God has said, I'm going to take you on to something better. I'm going to take you to a better place. I'm going to take you to a nicer place. Okay. So you don't need to look back at this place. What I've got for you, God is saying, what I've got for you is so much better. I need you just to look ahead. I need you to be looking forward. Don't look back. Don't turn around. What happens, some of you may be familiar with the story, Lot's wife turns around. And we're like that. Even though it's bad, even though it's ugly, even though it's not good for us, we continue to look in the past. Well, there's consequences for living in the past. 
and not living in the future that God has prepared for us. Not living in the present today, the here and now that God has given us. Stop living in the past. And some of you maybe need to take some serious steps to deal with some things that have happened in the past. I don't give you this this advice lightly. Sometimes people have very serious things in their past that they must reconcile. Very serious things have happened and they need to deal with them so that they can move forward. Well, let's get there. Let's start moving forward. Let's start getting past some of these experiences so we can enjoy what God has for us. Sometimes we like the past because it's familiar. No matter how bad it was, we like it because it's a familiar place. Right? You ever like something, even though it's not good for you? Sometimes it's a relationship. You stay in a relationship longer than you should. And it's not good for you, but you stay there because it's familiar. And part of that is fearing change a little bit. And we're going to talk about that. That's a little bit what happened with, with Lot. Lot knew what, a, what an awful place it was. He knew firsthand what an awful, awful place he was talking about. He knew firsthand what was going to happen. They were warned about what was going to happen. And when the angels tried to get Lot to leave this awful, nasty, dirty, evil, sinful place, when the angels tried to get Lot to leave this place that was no good for him, this place that was no good for his family, do you know what Lot did? Even though he knew God had something for him, even though he... He knew he was going on to a better place. You know what he did? It says he hesitated. We like familiarity. We fear change. We don't like change even when it's good for us. And here you have Lot in the midst of all this ugliness, all this evil, all this sinfulness. He knows what's about to happen. But yet when it's time to go, when it's time to go into God's promise, when it's time to go into God's provision, and it's time to be led there by angels, Okay, he's not just getting some kind of man escort. He's getting escorted by angels into this new thing, into this provision of God. He hesitates. Wow. Because we fear change. Y'all stop fearing change. Number, Number three, stop fearing change so much. Some of us need to change. Sometimes we can't admit it that we need to change, but some of us, some of us need to change. It's a beautiful thing to admit that you need to change. You're never more strong. You're never more empowered than when you admit your weaknesses. You're never more strong than when you admit that there are things in you that need to improve and that you need to change. We're all here today because we're either looking for change or we've experienced a change, right? That's why we're here. We're either looking for a change, we've experienced this miraculous life change, this miraculous heart change, or we came in here today that somehow we're going to be changed through the word, we're going to be changed through worship, we're going to be changed through the gathering. We come here because of change. We come here because God changed something inside of us. We changed our mind about church. We changed our mind about God. We changed our mind about Christ. And that's why we come in here today. Stop fearing change. Every change God's ever made in my life was for my own good. But yet we resist. We resist him. People will resist good change because they like their familiarity. They like their stuff. They like their comfort. People like their mess. And they like to be in that mess more than they like facing what might be over there. Like Lot. Philippians 1.6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you 
will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. God has started a work in each and every one of us. The master craftsman has started a work in each and every one of us. And it looks different in each and every one of us. And in some of us, it was a really big, instantly noticeable work. It was really obvious. And some of us, it's, it was a little bit of a slower work. But yet he is still at work in us every single day. And he will continue to be at work in us every single day until the day that we are with him again. God, who began something good, will continue to do something good in you and in me. Stop fearing change. And you can say, well, God's not really changing me. I don't really feel anything. I don't really experience anything. Well, God sometimes moves at his own pace. He moves according to the work that he wants to do and not according to the work that you want done. He moves at a pace that suits him, not at a pace that suits you. And he's at work every single day. And sometimes the changes are so small, so subtle, you don't even notice them. You know why the changes sometimes are so small and so subtle that you don't notice them? Because y'all can't handle change. Y'all can't handle change, so God has to move slowly with us, right? We can't handle it. The change scares us. It freaks us out. We panic. We resist it. We run from it. We hide from it. So God has to move slowly with us sometimes so that we don't panic and we don't freak out and that we don't get scared and we don't get paranoid and that we don't run the other way and go back to the past trying to unlock those doors. Sometimes God has to move slow with us, right? And I want you to think about it. If this is the master craftsman, the one that handpicks us, hand designs us, and he's working on us, he's taking his time with us. And it's like taking that really, really fine, fine sandpaper. And sometimes he's just taking his time and he's, he's smoothing out all those rough edges, right? And he doesn't want to scare you with what he's doing. So he's just taking his time. And he's working on a little bit of you at a time. And he's just smoothing out some of the, the rough edges. Now, to some of y'all, he's, he's probably taking a hammer and a chisel. And you feel it, right? You know when God's working, right? He's taking the hammer and the chisel, and he is pounding away on you because you got a lot of work. I know, man, I don't even know the size of the hammer God had to use on me to start to go to work. I needed a lot of help. Well, I needed a lot of help. And I know that he's still doing that work on me, and he's smoothing me over the way the water smooths over a stone over the course of many, many years. Stop fearing the change that God wants to make in your life. It'll be good for you. Number four, this is something I read the other day, and it was a list of things. It says, things that Christians do that aren't biblical. And this is number four. And on this list of things that Christians do that aren't biblical is we worry. We worry. We worry too much about too much, too much, right? That's us. We worry about things that haven't happened yet. We stress about things that haven't occurred yet. We stress about stress that has yet to occur. 
I'm not kidding. I do it. I do it. I will stress myself out over a situation that's coming up that I know is going to be stressful. So therefore, I am indeed stressing about something that hasn't happened yet. I'm stressing about stress I have not yet incurred. I am stressing about stress that has not happened yet. From a practical standpoint, that doesn't even make sense. It doesn't even make sense to stress about stress that hasn't happened yet. But we do it. I'm not alone. You don't have to admit it. But I'm absolutely not alone in stressing about things that haven't happened yet that are going to cause stress. Right? Right. Like, if I know i got to go to the in-laws for dinner <laughs> or a holiday, I stress about that. If it's Thanksgiving, I start stressing about it on Monday. Knowing, oh, man, Thursday's going to be miserable. Thank, thank you that football's on because I don't know if I can make it. I don't know if I can make it through another holiday in-law's house. The Bible tells us not to worry. Matthew 6, 33 and 34 says this. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Tomorrow will be here before you know it. Until the day that the Lord comes again, tomorrow is going to happen. And then another tomorrow is going to happen. And another tomorrow is going to happen. And indeed, that tomorrow is going to bring its own challenges. That tomorrow is going to bring its own struggles. That tomorrow is going to bring its own trials. It's going to bring its own problems. Tomorrow is going to bring its own hurts. It's going to bring its own disappointments. It's going to bring its own events that cause us to grieve. The scripture is true. Tomorrow's coming, and it's got enough problems of its own. We don't need to sit here and worry about them today. It'll be here before you know it. When you worry about tomorrow, you do two things. You ruin today and tomorrow. When you violate this and you worry about tomorrow and you work yourself up, you ruin today and tomorrow. The header in, in one of my Bibles as I read this uh, piece of scripture uh, in a different translation says the cure for anxiety above Matthew chapter 6. It says the cure for anxiety. Casting your cares upon the Lord. Seeking him first. Seek first the creator. Seek first the master craftsman. Seek first the one who calls you a masterpiece. And if you're seeking first the creator, the master craftsman, the one who calls you a masterpiece, if you're seeking him with all that you are and you're not worried about men and you're not worried about the past, if you're seeking him with all that you are, he's going to take care of your today and your tomorrow and all of your tomorrows after that. And you don't have to worry so much about it. Do you think you're worrying about something God's not aware of? Do you think you're more knowledgeable than God? Do you think you have some kind of insider information that he's not aware of that you need to worry about and not trust him with? You don't have that, okay? He knows everything about you. And to be wound so tightly with worry and doubt and fear and stress, that is not a life that he wants for us in Christ. That is not a life that God wants for us in Christ. 
This may be a little more real for some of you. If you've ever dealt with addiction, you know, the person who's, who's in recovery, the person who's struggling with addiction, they don't get to worry about tomorrow. They don't get to focus about tomorrow. They've got enough trouble worrying about what they have to navigate today. They've got to worry about where they go, how they're going to get there, who they're going to see on the way there. They've got to worry about the things, the places, and the people that they have to avoid just to get through today. Because they know that today has enough troubles of its own. They know that they got to worry about how they're getting to a meeting tonight. They got to worry about making an appointment with their counselor, their accountability partner, and their, 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 their sponsor. That's the life of an addict. They don't get to worry about tomorrow. Today's got enough problems of its own. You ever struggle with depression or anxiety? Some folks that struggle with depression and anxiety, they don't get to plan tomorrow because they don't know who's waking up tomorrow. They don't know if the person that's waking up tomorrow is gonna to be able to carry out the daily tasks that are required because it takes so much energy for them to function. I'm talking serious anxiety and depression disorders. They don't get to make plans for tomorrow because they don't know who's waking up. They don't know if that person's gonna have the mental equity, the mental energy to go on about the day. And if you've ever been caught in an anxiety or depressive cycle, you know this to be true. You say, I don't know what I'm able to do tomorrow because I don't know who's waking up. I don't know what kind of energy I'm gonna have. It may take all that I have to get up, get out of bed, get showered, and get the kids to school. And that may be it. That may be your day when you're caught in a cycle like this, when you're caught in depression, when you're caught in disbelief. When you're struggling with those kind of things, you don't get to worry about tomorrow. You have to worry about today. And God is saying, here, today, seek me, and I'm going to take care of you. Stop worrying so much about so much. The fifth thing. And really, the fifth thing is really what I want to talk to you the most about. I just thought it'd be kind of rude to come in and just hit you with number five and not kind of lead into it a little bit. I wanted to lead into it just a little bit and have a little bit of fun with you. But number five is really where I want to, I want to get you. I want to get you buying in to number five. And this is something that we all do. We probably all have, have a problem with this in one way, shape, or form. We need to stop making excuses. Right? We need to stop making excuses. We have excuses for so much. We have excuses for so many things. We make excuses for why we're not living the life we should in Christ. We make excuses for why we're not walking as closely with God as we should. We make excuses for why we don't give like we should. We make excuses for why we don't serve, why we don't attend, why we don't study like we should. We are full of buts. Right, y'all laughing. I was gonna serve, but, oh, I was gonna go, but, I was going to attend, but I was going to give, but. For Christians, we talk an awful lot about buts, and we need to stop. 
We need to stop making excuses. I texted a friend the other day, and I said, hey, man, um, having a down week, uh, not eating the way I should, not really lifting like I should, not really, you know, exercising the way you would want me to. And uh, you know what I was looking for? I was looking for an excuse. I was looking for, hey, it's okay, man, I understand. Life happens. Hey, it's okay, I know you're busy. Hey, it's okay, I know things come up. I, I wanted someone to validate my excuse, and I think we do that a lot of times. We reach out to people, and we communicate with people, or we surround ourselves with people who will validate our excuses. And that's what I was looking for him to do. For a second there, I forgot who this guy really was. I don't know why I did this to him, um, because it was like, sent this to him, and I'm, I'm giving him a list, like I'm setting him up, like, come on, man, tell me it's okay. Tell me I'm, I'm 43 and I'm, I'm busy. Tell me I've got priorities. I said, I'm not doing what I need to do. And his response was, what's stopping you? I'm like, I'm not going to text you anymore, man. Um, <laughs> we're done communicating through text. But that's also what real accountability looks like. Because the only thing stopping me from doing the things that I should be doing, the only thing stopping me from doing the things I want to be doing are excuses. And he stopped it dead in its tracks. The only reason I wasn't eating the way I needed to and I wasn't lifting the way I needed to was excuses. Excuses of I'm too busy, I'm too tired, I'm too stressed out. All of which I can control. Any excuse I could throw out there to him are excuses I could control. I'm too busy. Well, I'm the guy that makes my schedule. I'm too stressed out. Well, I'm the guy that worries about everything. I'm too tired. I'm the guy that stays up late watching Sports Center. I can change every excuse that I offered him, and so can you. Whatever excuse you're using right now to not have your very best life in Christ, you have control over it. You have control over it. You know who made a lot of excuses? You may not know this, Moses was an amazing excuse maker. Man, let me tell you a little bit about Moses. I didn't know this until I really dug into it. Moses had excuse after excuse after excuse. And we're going to go to Exodus 3 and 4 a little bit here. And if you know the, you know, the, the oppression of God's people. And God, God has heard the cries from his people. And God is aware of the oppression of his people under, under the, the rule of the Egyptians. So God is going to do something about that. Okay, so God has a plan to do something about this. So he's going to use Moses. So God tells Moses, so now go, I am sending you to, to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. God does not say, hey, Moses, if, if you... Find some time to do this. Hey, Moses, if you're not busy, hey, Moses, if you have the means to do it, God's not saying that. God's given him a command, a directive, go, get my people out of there. Moses says, but who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? Moses is saying, I'm nobody. Moses is saying, I'm not special. Hey, God, maybe you forgot me, Moses. I'm a sinner, God. I, I killed somebody, God. You want me, the sinner? You want me, the guy with the past? You want me, the guy with the baggage, to go and do something? He is just playing this false humility card is what he's doing. Oh, who, me? Oh, no, God, you don't, you don't want me. It's what he's doing. Oh, no, God, you don't, you don't want me. You don't, I'm the wrong guy. God won't have it. 
God says, I'll be with you. God's not going to send us into something and not be with us, right? God's not going to send us on our way and not be with us. God's not, go- not going to give us a command and not be with us. God's like, I'm going to be with you. You have nothing to worry about. I've got it covered. I'm God, right? Here's Moses. Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell him? Suppose, suppose, man, that's a stall tactic right there. You got to stop that. That's what a child does. Go clean your room. Well, suppose I clean up the books. You know, the kid puts their head down and kind of, suppose I make my bed, but I save the rest for later. Moses is stalling. He's just making another excuse of why he shouldn't do what he should be doing. Stop making excuses. And this continues on if you can believe it. Moses keeps this up. Moses answered, what if they do not believe me or listen to me? That's the old this won't work tactic. They won't, it won't work, God. They won't listen to me. How many times in our life do we not do something, particularly something good for us, particularly something we want to do, something that's fun, something that's enjoyable, something that would be good for us, but we say, oh, it won't work. How many times have we stopped right there? Well, I'm not going to do financial peace because it won't work. I'm not going to do marriage counseling because it won't work. I'm not going to do celebrate recovery because it won't work. I'm not going to go to church because it won't work. How many times have we said things like that? Do you know how many years it took me to go to marriage counseling? How many years it took me to try Financial Peace University? Because I kept saying, it won't work. It won't work. It won't work. That's what Moses is saying right here. It won't work, God. Why should I even try? Why should I even go? Why should I even make an effort? Because it won't work. That is our number one excuse, it seems like. Well, that won't work. That's why we don't do new things in our lives and in our churches. Oh, that won't work. Well, how do you know? How do you know it won't work? If you're in it with that attitude, you're right. It won't work. So we got to get rid of the excuses. If God wants it to happen, it's going to happen. Just dive in, right? If God wants to bless it, he's going to bless it. Stop making the excuses of it won't work. You're right. If it's of human hands and human will, it won't work. If it's of God in God's design, in his will, it will work. Believe it or not, Moses keeps at it. And Moses is persistent. Maybe it's that persistent is why God chose him. Maybe he knew he was going to need somebody to be persistent in this particular task. So he chooses Moses. I can't say why God chose Moses. I can see that Moses is pretty persistent. I see he keeps up this routine. Um, He tries it again. Moses says to the Lord, and we're in Exodus 4 now, verse 10. Moses says to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I like how he's proper as he's disrespecting him. Isn't that neat? Isn't that nice that he's just so proper as he's being disobedient? Right? That's very courteous. Pardon me, Lord. Uh, Your servant, Lord. I've never been eloquent. Neither in the past. There's that past thing. 
nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. How many times do we use something like that to keep us from doing it? Well, God, I'm not, I'm not very educated. God, I've never spoken public before. God, I've never prayed publicly before. God, I've never led a Sunday school class before. God, I've never volunteered in a children's ministry before. God, I've never volunteered in a youth ministry before. I don't know how to do it. I'm not very smart. I'm not very educated. I don't speak well. Do you think God's not aware of all those things as well? Do you think God's going to put us in a position and ask us to do something but then not equip us to do it? You think he's not going to skill us to do it? Is he not going to give us what we need to do it? He absolutely does. He's absolutely going to give you the skills, the people around you, the equipment, the language, the books, the knowledge to do whatever it is he calls you to do. Stop doubting him. Stop making excuses. You say, you know what? I think God wants me to do this. Then God's going to, he's going to get you there. He's going to equip you. He's going to give you what you need. And the Lord tells Moses, essentially, I've created everything, including you. I'll take care of this. I'll take care of it. But then Moses has finally ran out of excuses. And you know what he says? But pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. It was never about the excuses. It was never about, I don't speak well. It was never about, I'm not educated. It was never about, they won't believe me. It was never about his past. It was simply about, I don't want to. Right? And sometimes that's exactly what our excuses are about. I don't want to. I don't go because I don't want to. We don't serve because we don't want to. We don't give because we simply don't want to. We don't help because we don't want to. Let's just get honest with ourselves. Let's just be really, really honest. We don't do things because we don't want to do them. If, and, you know, the sooner we get honest about that, the sooner we let a lot of people off the hook. The sooner we just come to this point right here of complete honesty and say, please find someone else to do it. We're going to get ourselves off the hook, and we're going to relieve that person who's asking us because we're going to give them excuses. We'll say, well, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll serve. Maybe I'll do this. And then they start to count on us because they think a maybe from a Christian might mean something. They think, hey, when you say I'm going to go pray on it, you might actually go and pray on it. That was also on that list of things Christians need to stop doing. Stop saying you're going to pray about it and don't pray about it. Stop doing that. Don't do that if you do that. Just say I don't want to do it. You will save yourself so much hassle when you stop making excuses. And there will be a newfound respect. I will respect someone if they just look me right in the face and say, it doesn't really interest me. I don't want to do it. 
I get it all the time from when I say, hey, do you want to work in the children's ministry? They've given up giving me excuses. They will look me in the face and just tell me I don't want to do it. I'm like, well, I appreciate the honesty. Now I know not to count on you at all. But at least I know, right? At least I know where they stand. There's something to be said for knowing where you stand for, with someone. There's something to be said for knowing the truth and being honest about it and to stop offering up excuses. Let me show you how this is going to liberate you in your homes. You're going to like this. This is good stuff right here. For 17 years, as I alluded to earlier, I have had to come up with excuse after excuse after excuse of why I don't want to go to my in-laws. And after 17 years, I ran out of good ones a long time ago. Well, the game's on. And she'll say, well, what game? Well, ESPN's got eight channels. I'm sure there is a game on somewhere that I can be watching. <laughs> Cricket will do at this point if it gets me out of going over to your parents' house. But I've gotten to a point where if I love someone, if I respect someone, if I care about someone, the least I can do is be honest with them and not give them some lame excuse. So I simply say, I don't want to go. There's going to be drama and everything else there. I just don't want to go. At least I'm honest about it, right? So when someone comes to you and asks you to do something, just be honest and say, you know what? I'm not really interested, but thank you for thinking about me. Don't say things like you don't have the time, you don't have the money, you don't have the resources. Just say, you know what? I don't really want to do that. Thank you for offering me the opportunity. See how much more respectful that interaction is? And then know this. As you're making this list of excuses, God's already got a plan to bring somebody alongside you to do what it is you think you can't do. You think, well, I can't teach a Sunday school class. God's already got somebody in mind who's going to come alongside you and help you. You think, well, I can't lead a small group. God's got somebody in mind to come alongside you and help you. I can't do this. God's got somebody in mind to come alongside you and help you. You see, God's kind of sitting, sitting back, and he's letting you go through your list of excuses like you did with Moses, right? He's letting you rationalize it in your head. He's letting you play it out. He's letting you go through all of your excuses until you're done. And that's what he did with Moses. He let Moses go through every possible excuse. And I almost wonder if God said, are you done now, Moses? Can I speak now, Moses? Are you done making excuses, Moses? Because guess what? I've been preparing someone for you all along. As you've been here making excuse after excuse after excuse, while you won't do what I'm asking you to do, I've been preparing somebody for you all along. Your brother Aaron is coming to help you. The whole time as Moses is making a list of excuses for why he won't do what is good, for why he won't do what is right, for why he won't do what the Lord has called him to do. And when the Lord calls, to me that's a command, what the Lord has commanded him to do, to go and rescue his people. When Moses gets done making his list of excuses, God said, I've already taken care of those things, Moses. I've got somebody to come and help you. Stop making the excuse. 
Do you know what God feels about them? It says God, says the Lord's anger burned against Moses. The Lord's anger burned against Moses. And I wonder, does the Lord's anger burn against us when we offer up excuse after excuse for why we don't do what is right? When we offer excuse after excuse for, well, this is why I had the affair. This is why I had the addiction. This is why I stopped going to church. This is why I stopped praying. This is why I stopped reading the Bible. Excuse after excuse after excuse. And I got to wonder, does God's anger burn at us when we say, I'm not going to go on that trip. I'm not going to honor you with my tithe, Lord. I'm not going to help. I'm not going to serve. I'm not going to give. I'm not going to carry somebody else's burdens. I'm only going to think of myself. I wonder, does the Lord's anger burn against our excuses? I'm not going to reach out to those people. I'm not going to reach out to that side of town. I'm not going to do it because I simply don't want to. I wonder, does his anger burn against us for that? And I don't want to be standing in front of the Lord, having him run down a list of my excuses for why I didn't do what I should have done. He's already got a long enough list of things I've done wrong. I don't need to add to it. I just wonder, when will we get tired of the excuses for not living the life in Christ that we could. As we prepare to receive the elements of communion and our, our, our ushers come forward, our servers come forward to administer those elements of communion, those elements that symbolize the body and the blood of Christ. We come together now. Jesus heard the excuses. Jesus heard the excuses. I got to go bury my dead father. Uh, Jesus, I'd follow you, but I have a lot of stuff, and I really like my stuff. Well, Jesus, I, I kept those commands, right? I kept, I kept those commands. Jesus, I've got some family things I've got to attend to. Jesus heard the excuses. I wonder what more he heard that we don't know about. Jesus, I'm just a fisherman. Jesus, I'm I'm not very educated. I've been doing this my whole life. Jesus, he heard the excuses. You think in a crowd of 5,000, he didn't hear some excuses for why they didn't do some changing? Hmm? He heard it. And I'll say this, this is kind of a personal thing with me. I've said it many times at Riverside. And I'll probably continue to say it many, many more years. I never understood, me personally speaking, I've never understood excuses as I stand with my back to a cross or I sit looking at a cross. It is very, very hard for me to understand excuses when I think about the cross that held up our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because if anybody had some really good excuses, it would have been Christ. He could have said, it won't work, Father. They won't believe. He could have said, Father, even those closest to me are going to doubt. This guy, Thomas, 
He's going to doubt it. Father, they won't believe. They won't buy in. Father, they'll think it's a hoax. Father, it's going to hurt. Father, I don't know if I can bear it. Father, I don't know if I can endure it. He would have had some really legitimate excuses for not going to the cross. Because he goes to the cross, he eliminates any excuse that we can come up with. Complete work on the cross. So today, I just invite you, would you cast aside whatever excuses you have? Cast aside whatever's holding you back from living the the life that God wants for you in Christ. Cast aside whatever you think someone's going to say when you come to the altar. Cast aside all those excuses and say, what if they see me? What will they think? What if I can't get up? Put those excuses aside. Come to his altar. Come receive the elements that represent what he gave for us. Oh, Father, I just pray that we would be honest with ourselves, that we would really just take an an inventory of ourselves and we would take a look at ourselves, God. And we would ask you to examine us and remove any Anything that offends you, God, anything that gets in the way, Father, remove excuses and fears and doubts, God. Remove those hurts, remove those, those failures, remove those, those hang-ups from us, God. Would you just tear away every excuse that we could possibly come up with for not totally surrendering to you? Would you just tear away every excuse we could come up with for not just giving our lives over to you? Completely, Father. Would you tear away every excuse we could come up with for not wanting you to do this this work in us, Father? Would you just tear those away? Would you remove those from us? Could we become an excuse-free people? Could we free ourselves from those chains of excuses which border on lies, Father? Would you free us from that? Would we find renewed freedom today in your elements? Would we find renewed freedom today in coming to your altar and submitting our requests to the one one who knows us, the one who designs us, the one who crafted us, Father. God, would we find ourselves renewed today? God, we thank you for what you do in our lives every single day, sometimes so small that we don't even notice. God, I pray that we take the time to acknowledge that you're at work in us and around us always.